Hello and welcome to Two Minute Stories on Lockdown. You lucky people. The world has gone mad. And I've gone mad too. I would usually have a co-host. I would usually have a decorated writer sitting alongside me, making faces at me, exchanging witty banter. Witty-ish banter. Witty adjacent banter. But now, no, there's no one. It's just me talking into my laptop like a madman. Maybe I can have witty banter myself. Do you think I can do witty banter myself? I can try. Should we try? How you doing, Chris? Yeah, I'm all right. Tom, yeah, good. You know, considering. How you doing? No, no, not too bad. Not too bad. What have you been up to during the lockdown? Oh, you know, soirees, wine tasting, working and running, running, just running every day, running like a running man, like chariots of fire, like Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Running Man and other such running men. Do you think, uh, co-host Chris, that uh, perhaps you should modulate your voice so that the viewer doesn't get confused between host Chris and co-host Chris? Well, I mean, we could do that. We could try that. Should we try that? Yeah, let's try it. Okay. All right. How you doing, uh, uh, co-host Chris? Hey, I'm all right, Ta. Hey, it's nice to be here. I've come down from my hometown to be here. And where is your hometown, co-host Chris? Didn't you get cheeky with me, your pal? Right, you can hear. You know full well where my hometown is at Scotland. That's not a town. I know Glasgow in Scotland. I'm Scottish Chris, you can hear. Can you not hear my threatening Glaswegian brogue? Yes, I can. Thank you very much. You see? I've gone quite mad. Do you think we should carry on with the, the silly voices? Is it a bit too much? Oh, no. Keep going with them. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Scottish Chris. Thanks for the pep talk. I thought, dear listener, when this lockdown situation started, that it might be a good opportunity to connect this kind of community of writers that we have around Manchester and around the North who've contributed to Two Minute Stories and who kind of tend to congregate around the writing school at Manchester Met and uh, maintain a kind of sense of community between everybody through a bit of shared work and a bit of shared conversation and that perhaps we could produce, that we could all produce new work responding you know, off the cuff, responding to this unprecedented situation that we're in. And that maybe by by doing that and by, by reaching out into people's homes where people are stuck and projecting this little, you know, community of writing, community of writers linked by Zencaster and phone call and 
uh, cell phone audio mics that perhaps, you know, it would be a little contribution in making things a touch brighter and a touch better. People could hear um, writers responding with their hearts and their work and their practice and talking about it together. And that might be a positive, just a little positive to take from this, this whole situation. What do you think, Scottish Chris? Hey, I think it's a grand idea. I, can't, I cannot keep this accent out. Jesus, this is really exposing my accent ability level, isn't it? Well, anyway, I, so I sent an email. I sent an email around to these, these, this community of writers, and lo and behold, lots of people were up for it. Lots of people were up for creating some work and contributing. And so over the course of, uh, let's say, six or seven or eight weeks, uh, whilst this lockdown stretches on, because I think we all know it's going to, uh, you're going to hear, you're going to hear new work. You're going to hear new work from decorated writers, people like former co-host of this very podcast, Helen Maud, and poets such as Keith Hudson and Natalie Burdett and Emily Oldfield and Vani Capaldeo. You're going to hear from novelist Ollie Harris. You're going to hear from me. I'm going to do some stuff. There's a bunch of people. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. And I'll probably keep doing funny voices. Are they really funny? Funny ha-ha. No one said funny ha-ha. So there we go. Lockdown. Who have we got? And who have we got on episode one? Well, we have the former co-host of this very show, the wonderful, the highly decorated, multi-talented poet, novelist, dramatist, and BBC broadcaster, Helen Mort. Helen has published two poetry collections, Division Street and No Map Could Show Them. Her debut novel, Black Car Burning, which is excellent, came out to excellent reviews, appropriately excellent reviews last year. And she had a short story collection out last year as well called Exire, which was less well known, but equally good and I highly recommend. She writes drama and creative nonfiction too, which you're going to hear about. She was shortlisted for the T.S. Eliot Prize and the Costa Prize, and she won the Fenton Alderberg Prize in 2015. And she regularly appears on BBC Radio, and she used to co-host this very show. You're going to hear new work from her today. And you're going to hear from Emily Oldfield. Who? Who is Emily Oldfield? Some of you may ask. Well, of course, you should know Emily Oldfield from, I believe she was in episode six of the first season of Two Minute Stories. And before that, Emily was a second year student in my prose class. Yes, she was, she was an undergrad and I taught her and she stuck out like a clearly soon to be professional writer. And what is she now? A professional writer. She's the editor of Haunt Manchester at Manchester Met. She's contributed to the Writing Manchester Map. She's a passionate performer of her work. She's read at the Gothic Manchester Festival and Wham Festival, Bronte Festival of Women's Writing, Foundations Festival. She's read at all the festivals. And she's written online for sites including I Love Manchester, Louder Than War, Bittersweet Symphonies and At The Barrier. And her first poetry pamphlet, her very first poetry pamphlet, Grit, 
was published by Poetry Salzburg on the 1st of March, 2020. Yes, brand new. And I read some of my own work at the launch night for her, her, her pamphlet, Grit, alongside her and Keith Hudson. And this was on the very outbreak, the very eve of the outbreak. And there was a gathering of 40 or so completely insane people in a very small room in uh, downstairs at the writing school at Manchester Met. And, uh, and uh, half of them are dead now. But, you know, this is the price we pay for poetry. So we're going to hear from Helen. We're going to hear from Emily. It sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Aye, it sounds flippin' brilliant. I don't even like poetry. That sounds fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, enthusiastic Scottish Chris. I might just keep doing the voice. Why not? Should we hear from Helen? Yeah, go on then. Across the city's seven hills, people have started talking to one another. Sheffield is a struck glass, chiming. I sit and wait for it to break. Sometimes, I can't tell which voices are inside the tall coolness of our house and which are outside. These walls hold so much. I'm the kind of person who can't tune out voices. At parties, I feel like a faulty radio transmitter. I stare intently at the green, blue, brown, indescribable eyes of the one I'm talking to, but words keep cutting through. How long's it been? There's more white in the fridge. B would get on so well with Georgie. Sometimes I catch my own name and I'm lost, treading water. On the street, neighbours are holding mugs of steaming tea, keeping up a rally of pleasantries. I hear the gate of number 32 clang shut. That's one silver lining, says Irene. Everyone speaks to each other now. When I was ten, my great-grandmother's hearing aid was haunted. In the middle of our TV dinner, it tuned in to another frequency. The voice was steady as a newsreader, telling her something about the Scottish border. She clutched a hand to her ear. It's like a pub at kicking out time. I can't switch it off. I listened to the chickens at number 12, scrapping amiably. The radio's stoicism in the red kitchen. The sound of my toddler babbling as he dismantles the sofa piece by piece. Outside, at number 20, the last resident left in the supported housing, the one nobody added to our street WhatsApp group, is shouting from the grass. Don't treat me like a little boy, Karen. Do you treat your husband like a little boy? The gate at 32 creaks open again, but nothing passes through. Yeah, I feel like I'm back on maternity leave, to be honest, because I was like, oh, God, I felt like I was trapped in the house then, and now I'm trapped in the house again. Um, but in the bonus, I get to spend – I would never have got to spend this time with Alfie because he would have been in nursery and I would have been working. And, oh, well, you just I'm just taking it for what it is and not worrying too much about – the thing I find difficult is I can't – so I do have some time to work, even though there's no nursery. We're sharing childcare so that I can work a bit too. But I'm not very good at switching between modes of... I'm in mum mode again now, and it's really hard to sort of get anything done. But that's why it's nice having having challenges and commissions and people are being really creative in response to this. And 
it's great and stuff like this is happening and it's yeah so what have you been doing since the uh, the listeners of two minute stories heard from you last um, what have you been doing the last year or so, so i um had a baby who's now not a baby anymore he's a toddler and um i've mostly been on maternity leave looking after him so i've been quite distant from the world of writing and even the world of reading i had this naive idea before um, when i was pregnant that um I'd get a lot of reading done on my maternity leave because I thought, well, babies sleep quite a lot. Um, so uh, I'll be able to read. What I didn't realise was that often babies sleep a lot, but not necessarily where you want them to sleep or how you want them to sleep. <laughs> so um, I did get a lot of listening to audio books done while I was walking around Sheffield, um, pushing a pram, trying to get him to go to sleep. Um, but yeah, that's mainly been what I've been doing, but I'm getting back to some writing now and um, yeah, starting to starting to immerse myself in fiction again. Well, well you you have become a novelist oh that's true um, yes I had a novel come out (laughs) I think because I'd already written that before then I I sort of forgot but yeah I had a novel come out last April my first novel and I'm actually I've just started a non-fiction book so I'm working on that now um and I've got another non-fiction book coming out this autumn about dogs and mountains so yeah there has been some stuff going on dogs and mountains yeah and sort of why we love um combinations of the two what is it about taking a dog to the hills with you that makes you enjoy that experience even more why are we so obsessed with dogs outdoors what is it about them that that we envy or perhaps revel in or or whatever it might be so that's been great fun to research um I'll be your first reader oh great (laughs) keen to hear what you have to say I was having a conversation the other day with uh, uh but basically my only uh activity that I do aside from working and staying at home and, and reading lots is uh, is going for going for far too many runs yeah great far, far too many runs like I have I have calves of, of concrete right now <laughs> like completely locked up um, and I run along uh, uh, along the Mersey oh the wow okay yeah right right by my house in Didsbury and it's it's really it's really pretty there as well surprisingly pretty oh. Um, and it's uh, it's constantly full of incredibly happy, very wet dogs. Yeah, running running down, chasing tennis balls into the river and scaring all the ducks. And I was I was having a conversation with someone. And I was saying that I think I think a wet dog is my favourite thing in the whole world. Yeah, there's something satisfying about that, isn't there? Especially when they they shake themselves in a really dramatic way and and. Sp- Right, everyone they're completely oblivious and it must be interesting for, for dogs during lockdown because they're actually probably enjoying themselves um quite a lot because their owners are at home and they're getting extra warmth <laughs> probably and they're, they're just enjoying the human companionship of it and the fact that we're all being being forced to stay in one place i think they love it they're they're 100 the winners of covid19 yes <laughs> Although apparently I was reading yesterday that they're not sure if dogs can get it, so um, maybe not such um, a winner. Oh, really? Well, I think cats can get ah! it. And a lion, there's a confirmed case of a lion that's had it. Um, oh, my God. But they're not sure about dogs. Maybe dogs can or maybe they can't. They're not totally sure. Um, I, I've obviously been avoiding the news. I need to get on to the, <laughs> <laughs> the that, animal. That could be okay. fake news. Don't quote me on it. So are you? how are you finding being uh, a mother of toddler 
in the lockdown? Well, it's probably a bit like being a dog owner. And I think toddlers <laughs> probably quite enjoy the lockdown as well. And um, going for a walk with a toddler is very much like going for a walk with a really unruly, disobedient dog. Um but it's actually really nice because it changes your I think having a child in general makes you forces you to slow down in some ways, um, mm. which is nice. And I've noticed it, especially with now that he can walk. Um, he started walking confidently just as the lockdown began. Um, so uh, that's <laughs> nice for the, the daily exercise because we can go out together. And, yeah, you have to zigzag over the same ground um quite often you have to look and mm. notice different things be alert for hazards it is also a bit like walking with a drunk person who sort of weaves around and falls over and shouts every now and then and demands um <laughs> snacks and stuff like that um but it does it makes you you get to know the same patch of ground really kind of intimately i guess and just looking at ground level and looking at twigs and leaves and it's sort of taking me back to my own childhood because I was an only child I used Mm. to spend a lot of time that was my imaginative world was was being out in the garden and sort of yeah looking at things um I was a sort of um allotment orphan when I was a kid because my mum is a fantastically talented gardener and vegetable grower and she had all these allotments that she'd turned from waste ground into amazing um places to grow veg and I just have so many memories as a child of just going to the allotments with her and just being left to my own devices for hours and hours and hours wandering around so um I think I'm revisiting that a little bit actually yeah what a neglectful parent (laughs) leaving me wandering (laughs) probably made me into a writer um exactly yeah I have been thinking about this quite a lot because there's um, the Sheffield musician Richard Hawley, who I'm a great, great fan of, talks a lot about yeah. the value of being bored for creativity. And I know that's got mentioned a lot with the lockdown, that we're we're possibly going to become more creative because we're all kind of bored. And um, I think <laughs> I think there is something about not being distracted that I definitely value Um that you get with a with a child you sort of have to watch them and watch your surroundings all the time instead of being on your phone or trying to get something done or even being lost in your own thoughts so um it's quite a nice way of being in the moment I suppose and having a slightly different yeah. relationship with time that's true you have to be very present don't you yeah I mean I don't know if I totally buy all the the we're all going to become creative during lockdown things because I think we can also fill our time with rubbish. I'm very good at browsing the internet and drinking too much wine during lockdown. That's also what I've been doing. So it's not all positive. (laughs) The entire world has been binge watching a program about a a tiger king. Tiger, oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) Including me, have you seen it? Yes, I have, yeah. (laughs) I resisted for a very long time and was completely baffled about why the entire world was talking about this, you know, kind of weird, weird sounding, quite tacky reality show. And then I watched the first episode and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. (laughs) I'm completely hooked. (laughs) Exactly. Tore my way through it all. Uh, But uh, I want to talk about the piece that you wrote, which was beautiful. Oh, thank you Typically beautiful. Um, 
when I was 10, my great grandmother's hearing aid was haunted. That's a good line. Isn't it? <laughs> it was. That's true. It's it's interesting that, you know, in in the time of uh, of isolation, you chose to write about uh, community. Well, I suppose without wishing to be too sort of naive and cliched and rose tinted glasses and stuff like that, that that's been really nice. Um, it, there is a sense of people looking after one another and um i i've always known my neighbors um haven't always in different places i've lived but here in sheffield i do but usually you might say hello to them for about 2 minutes um when you're on your way out somewhere and they're on the way out and you you're like ships in the night and suddenly everybody is being forced to get to know each other a bit better and look out for one another um, and see if anyone needs anything and that's kind of nice, especially when you might not have anything in common with those people other than a shared postcode. Um, and that's that's a that's a great thing, I think, to happen. I, I really think. Um, I think, yeah, there's a sense of community or there is here. But again, it depends where you live, doesn't it? It depends what circumstances you live in. Um, that's that is a very kind of a lucky situation I guess to, to so I, I'm very curious about how you how you write at all <laughs> with a toddler around do you do you write after bedtime so no because I'm too tired um <laughs> again yeah. it's my own fault I usually get to that point of the day and I'm just my brain isn't good for anything um uh, I I write at the moment when he's having a nap or um I'm sort of sharing the childcare a little bit with my partner so that he can work for most of the day and then I can get a few hours work in the afternoon. And that's that's working quite well because he would normally be commuting to work and losing all that time. Yeah. But because he isn't, that's time that he can um look after Alfie and I can do a bit of work. So I'm I am managing, but um it's so often we're our own worst enemies aren't we um so often I'll have time I'll have a bit of snatched time to write in and because it's snatched and because um I've got that time if I'm not making good use of it I uh, beat myself up and then I can't write Mm. beating myself up you know how it is (laughs) yes yes I do (laughs) um but I mean I think always always reading or listening to something listening to a podcast listening to an intelligent conversation about the world um the things that you can do when you've got a little window of time even if you don't feel like you can write they're all part of it. They're all part of the, the sort of richness of, of of being a writer, I guess, or being someone who yeah. likes to notice things. Um, two minute stories, obviously, yeah. perfect for those little windows of time. You can absorb them properly. Good promotion. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I think it's um, exactly, and it's actually really nice to write to the two minute brief as well to the the two minute it makes you structure your work in quite an interesting way because it does fly by if you're writing prose doesn't it two minutes goes very quickly really does yeah you know a a page or less and there you go it's done well I I enjoyed your piece it was typically beautiful thanks so much give me give me a hope for the future I'm I'm asking everyone given that this can be a, a a scary time and a gloomy time um tell me something that you hope for oh that's um that's that's a nice question um 
Well, I suppose relevant to this piece, really, I'd hope for the aspects of this that have been good, that have been about community and about supporting others, so particularly the support for the NHS and the the clapping for carers and for that that should happen all the time. Um, that, that that should have that's something that we could legitimately have done before this, but it's it's sometimes it makes you stop and think and notice doesn't it so I'd, I'd like to think that a hope for the future is that some of those you know who knows what's going to happen or how long we're in this for but um whenever things do change um, and alter and we're living slightly differently again I hope we hold on to a bit of that and a bit of the the, the generosity that we've seen as part of it I think um yeah that seems a reasonable hope I think we've got got confidence in that <laughs> yeah that was me talking with my former co-host Helen Mort and what I should have said in the introduction to this show is there will be a, a broad range of audio qualities as I'm working out how on earth to record this flipping thing in lockdown uh, hopefully these will get ironed out as we go along excuse the terrible audio you're going to hear now from Emily Oldfield. Breathe. You hold your breath with the suspended tension of a brimming glass, the curve of liquid in its moulded orb ready to shatter like a cry or a laugh. It bulges in a fizzing bulb as you guess the time that you can keep it. The daffodils mulch by the self-served tills in air dense with a double fear and fight for breathing. Clutch the bottle by its neck, raise the other to your own, feel the same pressure in your infant self, the first time in the deep end underwater held alone, a body in a pool we would call empty, yet covered in liquid at every pore. You know that complete touch of life and death that drives us to surface in burning raw. That was the first instance you remember holding breath. Now it punctuates your days in headlines in its bursting weight. You throw outside the store the money paid. You practice in the same room at night, holding it to know the space between the ribcage and the lungs, where empty is the usual rot and waits to furl it into speech. A word of love by something close. it's it's not only the like the implications as like socially you know in terms of seeing society shift so quickly and massively beyond our you know usual conceptions but it's also the kind of like um the messaging the subliminal messaging around people and what people now represent and what our contact and touch and connectivity now represents because on one hand people are more in touch virtually than ever we're kind of like drawn to be aren't we at this time but like our physical bodies like become sources of 
you know, potential contamination and risk. And I think that's really, it's frightening. Um, but also I'm like, I wonder what the kind of like long-term effects are going to be of that kind of implication, mm. you know? I, I wonder about that too, because, you know, as, as this goes on, we're, we're learning through repetition and, you know, subconscious repetition, we're learning to avoid people. You see someone, yes. you see someone coming near you and you swerve to get out of their way. And you're right. I think that's going to have a, a long, some kind of long-term impact, surely. Yeah, because like you say, like people, you swerve to get away from people, and I think it's like, yeah, psychologically, it's gonna have it's gonna have a really big impact, and I think it's, and also the the dealing with that and the kind of like coming to terms with it, it is a kind of loss in a way. Those kind of little intimacies, even with people, with friends, you know, that kind of and developing a guardedness to people which is like it's, it's hard it's a hard thing for people to carry and to sustain I think and I'm not saying you know obviously it's necessary in the circumstances but it must it must be having a psychological impact it's so it seems so removed from us you know yeah I, I agree I think it's it's the that idea of you have developing guardedness to survive yeah you know that's I mean that's that's pretty dystopian just in itself isn't it yeah you, know, you have to be to be wary of others just to survive at the same time there's there's kind of warm showings of togetherness like you know the applause that people are giving to the NHS yes. um, that that seem kind of uh, oddly un-British to me and like pleasantly un-British like oh that's nice that's almost a European thing to, thing to do so maybe it's kind of you know evolving in two ways it's kind of yeah those lots of little intimacies that you said and also a kind of um push back against that maybe yeah like different different ways of expressing togetherness and bringing like you know a real diversity of people together and also like I've noticed more people seem to be I don't want to romanticize it but more people seem to be smiling you know when you walk past and they make a conscious effort to smile like in Manchester I wasn't used to that you know I was used to that where I'm from like in Rosendale, people will like sometimes smile and say hello when you walk past. But um, now people are like, because, you know, you're conscious that when you walk past somebody in the street, you might be the only other person, that the physical person that they've seen all day, you know. And so to share a smile with them or to share eye contact with them, I don't know, it feels, even though it would be meaningful anyway, it seems weighted with more meaning somehow. So what what are you doing to uh, to cope with this time? <laughs> make it as pain-free as possible running and walking you know like that daily kind of like outing like so to speak um I find it you know a real place of like personal solace but also being in space and place it like brings me back into myself I think being isolated and sitting in my you know and sitting in my room um I kind of lose lose perspective and I develop these kind of twisted versions of myself through my own mind but like through being out running it's kind of unspooling that and it's like putting yourself into place and re-familiarizing yourself both with your own body at this like weird time and with the place the place around you and that it's you know in the sense of beyond this that there is something you know beyond this immediate circumstance you know I know it's important not to speculate too far in the future and to try and just live every day at the moment you know because again trying to gauge the unconceivable is hot you know it, it doesn't add up but um at least embracing the moment even just knowing the duration like knowing 
the place you want to run to and and then to come back. I think that has a you know the sense of achievement in it. I mean there's so much there's so much research now about how how bad screen time is for everybody, right? Yeah, I can em- <laughs> I can empathize <laughs> with this. Yeah, you me too. And and how and how bad it is to be sedentary. Yes. And uh, how you need to um, you need to you know get up and walk every hour if you're stuck in front of a computer. And now we're all stuck in front of our computers. And if you if you've got a lot on you know eight, ten, twelve hours a day. So then that little slot when you're able to go out and and have a run. I mean I've been running like seven, eight, nine, ten kilometers a day. Yeah, which I am in in no way physically capable of doing, <laughs> just because. I'm impressed. That's great. The joy. Oh no, my body is destroyed now. <laughs> it's completely broken down. But it was just through the the pleasure of just being outdoors. Yeah, and and you're right, just feeling you come back into your body and into a uh, the world and a, a natural space. You know, the relief of that was so nice. And equally, not feeling. Like stationary time in, especially the urban space at the minute, it seems to be associated with waiting and physical distancing. Whereas like running, it's that constant travel, it's the motion and like being, you know, that fluidity to it, which I just yeah can find a bit of like respite in. But yeah, being in front of a screen, it's it strikes me as a difficult like weird dependent relationship because. Yeah, we rely on it to keep that like lots of method of social contact. But equally, I find that it again, I find I find it a problem. You know, social media often breeds this kind of sense of constant availability. Um, you know that that you should always be you know available and responses should be instantaneous. And I just think on a human level, on a psychological level, that's not how contact works. We wouldn't, you know, it. It is deeply kind of like unnatural, really. We wouldn't be in contact with so many people all at once on so many different levels of conversation, you know, with so much unfolding all the time. And I think probably it's nor it's, it's probably like a instinctive response to feel overwhelmed by that. I mean, I certainly feel overwhelmed, and yet I feel guilty for feeling overwhelmed, you know, because I want to be responsive. But if you're constantly responsive, then you don't reflect and. I think this is a time to reflect just as much as it is to respond. I agree. I think it's okay to be selective about those those kind of things. It's, yeah. I mean the the especially if you're trying to achieve something yes. <laughs> with your day that requires a little bit of focus. You can't constantly be chatting to to people on messenger apps. You know, even if even if you desperately want to do that in order to connect to people. Yeah, just to see if people are okay. You know. So tell tell us about uh, tell me. It's only me here. Tell me about um, about breathe and why you uh, selected it because I think it, it feels very appropriate. Yeah, thank you. I um, I guess it was uh, the the deep pit of every, of the situation at the minute, the coronavirus and 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 also the connectivity between us all. It's the fundamental nature of breath. We all breathe. You know, it's we don't we we often or perhaps before this. We perhaps didn't consciously think about it so much. I mean, some people practice mindfulness and have techniques with the breathing, so that's one way. But a lot of people, just you don't think about taking a breath. But now that breath is at the very, you know, that's what often with when people are suffering from the virus, they're fighting for 
I think mm. it's becoming to a lot more people's immediate attention, and yeah, it all connects us. So I thought I would reflect. I thought I would reflect on that and um, the moments in people's lives where they remember um, perhaps being conscious of it. You know, the first time you go swimming and you put your head underwater and you feel that weird. You know, if you hold yourself under for too long, you feel that burning in your lungs. You know that you must get up and you must breathe, and or perhaps you've been running. And you feel, you know, you, you, you know the point where you start to feel yourself running out of breath, you know, things like that. And um, mm. your ability to manage your breath if you play a musical instrument. And um, so I just decided to reflect on that in the poem, really. <laughs> I think you chose the right one. Thank you. Have you been, have you been writing uh, during this, this period? Um, I found it... I because a lot of people I found a lot and again this is the nature of social media isn't it on social media I've seen a lot of people saying this time has gone really slowly they're bored um I I I don't feel bored I certainly don't feel bored like um there's too much there's too much to be reading and writing but I found it very hard to write I guess because of what I said earlier about not feeling that I had the any kind of language or comprehension to grasp anything and um and just finding that sense of overwhelm difficult, even in my, even in other creative work that I'm meant to be doing, I've just found a, a bit of a, bit of a dry space, and I was pushing myself to respond, and I couldn't, you know, and it, it felt really forced. Um, but then I just tried reading around a little bit, and um, actually reading to get into a different kind of mental space, and. Um, I actually wrote a poem. I actually wrote a poem this morning, which is like it feels like a massive thing because I've been struggling to write anything for quite a while. So, um, but again, I've seen a lot of like displays of like extreme product productivity online, and as much as that's great, I don't think it should set. You know, it is really great that people are doing creative things for the time, but just the, there is no precedent. You know, people shouldn't feel a pressure to force things out of a situation that is you know very difficult for lots of people do you do you think that being a writer might um might lead to you experiencing might lead to you know any writer experiencing this period differently i guess it's like i guess it's whether choosing it's being surprised by where your thoughts go, I think, and where you are drawn to perhaps writing about whilst often because a lot of writers choose to go to the places that they write about. I mean, I have previously, like with the grip poems, you know, Rosendale, and yet it's about being long-term isolated from places that we've perhaps experienced and suddenly drawn to write about get that kind of craving to write about and yet I have to do it at a distance and that's going to have some interesting implications I think because I think a lot of people are thinking both about places where they wish they were or they could visit but also the place that they're in and seeing the everyday intricacies in a, in a different and transformed way and I think that's going to have some interesting levels for writing as well I wrote a poem about um, a job that I had on an industrial estate outside Burnley this morning. So that's nothing to do with, it doesn't seem very linked 
to the situation at the moment and yet there was that sense of like oppression and isolation at the same time in it so I guess it's those feelings and when where these feelings now take us to points that we can empathize with in our like past and you know predicted futures and whatever I think I think being a writer you know a big a big part of that is reflecting and making sense of things and trying to solve problems yes you know trying to create a kind of sense of of whatever you've experienced if that's in your personal life or in like a wider social life or in the world in general or you know a combination of all those things is that what you're finding uh, for yourself no (laughs) (laughs) no i'm uh i'm uh oh maybe i mean i'm i'm not sure i'm writing i'm working on a novel at the moment um which which was started before this this situation so there's nothing consciously going into that that's informed by this situation but i'm sure there is an awful lot subconsciously that i'll see very clearly you know a year from now when i read it back there's there's probably all, all sorts of things about there's probably all sorts of things about isolation in there that i'm that i'm not consciously aware of yeah that that's yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I know um, somebody was telling me about a friend who was writing a novel about a virus pandemic before all this happened. And I'm like, oh, inevitably, really? <laughs> now it's going to just be the coronavirus novel, and um, <laughs> which is equally like it's it's probably yeah, like lots of people will be interested, but perhaps not for the you know not for the reasons that he would have want you know he would have necessarily wanted. There you go, the one person who's happy with the <laughs> the coronavirus outbreak. Müdigkeit hört gut die Voraussetzung für gechilltes Spielen. Episode one of Two Minute Stories in Lockdown. Almost wrapped up. What have we learnt, co-host Chris? We've learned that your Scottish accent ability is not as stellar as you like to think. Thank you. Thank you, Scottish Chris. Yes, yes, that's true. The... Uh, the gaps in my Scottish accent ability have been somewhat exposed. Oh, we learned. We've learned so much. We've learned how highly decorated novelist poets get through the lockdown. We've talked about hope for the future. What good things might come. And we've talked about my calves of concrete 
they still hurt quite a lot. I ran quite a lot yesterday. I'll probably run quite a lot today. I run every day. It's the best way to deal with this madness. On the next show, we're going to hear from crime novelist Ollie Harris. Yes, we are. And we're going to hear from black country poet Natalie Burdett. Yes, we are. It's going to be a great show. But to wrap it up, I'm going to read something. I'm going to read a little piece that I threw together to reflect on this situation. And uh, I might not do this every week. I haven't decided. I simply haven't decided yet, but I've done it this week. And I hope you're well, off in your homes. Hope you're keeping sane, keeping busy. Pet your cat, if you've got one. Do some writing. Wake up every morning. Fill four pages of paper. It's a good practice. Thanks for listening. You wake up with the bit between your teeth. Through the cracked window, voices of smoking neighbours, morning doorstep. Are they smoking? No. Just airing, greeting the passing joggers with nods, flicked eye contact. You don your trainers, pound the tarmac, Clyde Road to Old Lansdowne and back along Burton. The impacts you feel in your ever tighter knees. What else is there to do? You run the side roads, pound damage into your tendons, or else it's the byways of memory. Or hell, why not both? Take a drudging turn down her street. Remember the soft firmness of her body. The way the fading Thai sun beyond the hostel's one-way windows made a silhouette of her shaved head as she read Neruda aloud in the Spanish, lying on your chest. Evening falling and the dorm empty, voices and feet audible on the stairs, you'd pulled your clothes back on. If anyone was to enter, all they'd see is an innocent cuddle. This really happened. Did it? How do you know? How do we know what really happens? Can we measure it in damage? The way each footfall writes itself across the exhaustible material of your cartilage. Decades from now, because you're not so old, you'll feel this morning's run as you lower yourself into your chair. This morning's and last night's and yesterday mornings and the night before that, and all the asphalt pounding cartilage eroding recitations of aerobic respiration, the root repetitions, the morning before, the morning before, and the morning before that, root over root, kilometer over kilometer, memory over memory. Remember the smell of her hair, wet from the shower, as it met the minus temperatures of a Wisconsin dawn, a day or year or three ago when the bones of your knees were a few nanometers further apart. <laughs>